Amen. Today's sermon title is simply The Waldenses. And, you know, those of you who may know me, I don't know if you know this about me, I don't know if I share it in this church necessarily, but when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, I could not stand history and social studies in, in any of those classes. I really, really did love uh, math because I, I call it the difference between knowing how and knowing that. Meaning, if I know how to add, it doesn't matter how many addition problems my teacher gave me, I knew how to do that. But when it came to history, I either knew that or not. I either knew the dates and the facts and the stories or not. So I could not stand it. However, as I have gotten older and I have looked into history and some of the things that have taken place, I'm saying, look at these wonderful things, and there's so many lessons that we have learned from history. So today, as we're looking at the Waldenses, uh, there's things that happened for hundreds of years to this group of people, and I'm going to share some highlights. There's a whole lot more that you can study. There's a whole lot more that you can look at, but I want to share some highlights because I think it has a wonderful, valuable lesson for all of us. But before we get into it, let's go ahead and call upon the Lord one more time uh, for anointing and blessing. Let us pray. Father God, again, there's nothing here that I bring, but I'm, a- I'm asking, Lord, that in spite of me, in spite of my imperfections and my sins and who I am, Lord, that it be you speaking through me and not I. I ask, Father God, that as we look at this wonderful group of people, what they stood for and what they did, that it could be an inspiration for all of us, especially in the times that we're in. Bless us as we open the scriptures and pour out your spirit for wisdom and understanding. Prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your message, but not only be hearers and listeners of your word, but also become doers of your word. This is my humble prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, um, for those of you that know me or have known me throughout the years, here in Tallahassee, I have mentioned that a couple of times. I used to be, uh, in May was five years, where I weighed 260 pounds. And I'm a short guy. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm kind of average for, as far as short guys are concerned. You know, I'm about five foot ten or so, but it's still pretty short for, for a dude, you know. And, and uh, one of the things that I started to do, I started in St. Pete with a couple of church members, is that we did this race called uh, a savage race. And that mod- motivated me to, you know what? I need to get in shape. I need to work out. I need to do more because the sports guy that played football in high school and basketball and, uh, and, and, and wrestle and all of that, man, I had let myself go big time. So I decided, let me go ahead and try to schedule a couple of events a year in order to be able to have a motivation and say, you know what, no, no, I got to work out because I got that race coming up. And so I've done several things throughout the years. And I remember one of my first experience when I recognized the disease that I suffer from, that it was called acute out-of-shapeness. I'm not sure if it's a real disease, but that's how I identify it. It, it was maybe about 10, 12 years ago when I was in Egypt, and um, I, I went over there and I was with a group of pastors. We were doing, we did the whole tour from Egypt to Israel to Jordan, Petra, etc. And we find ourselves at the foot of the mountain of Mount Sinai. I was also not only a student and, and, and a future pastor, but I was also the medic for the group. And so Mount Sinai is a little bit over 9,000 feet, which is about nine times the Empire State Building, nine and a half times the Empire State Building. 
And I find myself climbing to the top of the mountain and exhausted, winded. We began like around 3 in the morning over there. It was exhausting. It was 125 degrees at the bottom of the mountain, but it dropped to about 50 and 40 degrees at the very top of the mountain. So it's a big shift between having a jacket on and taking it off and putting it on. Anyhow, here's what happens. As the medic, we had not one, not two, not three, but four different people get hurt in the mountain. So I climbed Mount Sinai three times on that day as a medic, and then Rasa Safa, the mountain next to it, a fourth time for the fourth person. Rasa Safa is a mountain where they believe that the Israelites encamped as they were seeing Moses up on the mountain when he received the commandments from God. And so those were the, 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 the four climbs that I had to do in that day, technically five with the original climb that I did. And talk about being worn out, exhausted, Suffering from acute out of shapeness and climbing. I don't have to climb all the way up to the top. People were hurt at different stages of the mountain. But climbing and climbing, helping bring somebody down, carry somebody down, it was detrimental. But the nearest hospital is three hours away. We're surrounded by desert. There's not a whole lot that we can do. And I was the only guy out of a group of 54 pastors who had the, you know, the kits and everything necessary to help and assist and do sutures and bandages and all of those different things. So I was really put to the test. And if you know anything about me, you know I can't, I can't stand the heat. I keep my house at 65 degrees as much as possible. It's been struggling in the middle of the day right now. It's been getting up to the 70s, and I don't like that, but whatever. The point is, is that it is detrimental, and I struggle with that. Then you fast forward to a year ago when Patrick and I from this church, we went to do a 100-mile race in Vermont. We had 48 hours to do 100 miles, and we're running around the clock nonstop, no sleep or anything. We stopped just for a little bit of sustenance, and I get a huge blister on this foot right here, and in the middle of the night when it's super dark, I'm in there, and every time there's a stone, ow, and ow, and you're moving, and you're pushing through, and it is just a challenge. Just a month ago, Patrick and I did, we're crazy, and Patrick is just as crazy, but we did a, a 30-mile, um, it was an ultra race, virtual, where you do five-mile laps and see how much you could do. The problem with this is that every five miles, you come back, and you check into the Zoom meeting in your air-conditioned home, and you have snacks, and then you have to go back outside and run again. And I really hated that. Every time I came inside, it's like, do I have to go back out there? But you know what? You went and you pushed. You've ever had moments in your life where you have a blister, a messed up ankle, 125 degrees, and literally a mountain to climb more than one time when you're saying, I just want to give up? You ever had it when too much is too much? Do you realize that I always brag about how I'm a broke pastor and I have three cars and a motorcycle? Well, one of the cars sold, and then suddenly both of the cars broke, and a family of five couldn't help on the motorcycle, and suddenly we were walking, we had to rent a car, my phones were broken, my iPad was broken, everything was completely broken all within two weeks. And it's like, what in the world? I went from three cars and a motorcycle to just a motorcycle for five people. It just doesn't work. It's just my son is five foot eleven right now. He's bigger than me, and he's fourteen shoes. Imagine him in the back of the bike holding on to me. It's just it's not going to happen. 
You've ever been pushed in some way where too much is too much? You ever had it where you enter into your house and, and the roof is leaking, the pipe breaks, the power gets shut off, and everything is like, ah, and you just want to scream? I don't know about you, but I have been told time after time, and you'll hear me say this over the years, the life of a child of God, I was told once before, and it is true, is always about crisis. You are either in the middle of a crisis, you're about to go into a crisis, or you're just coming out of a crisis. If you're just coming out, enjoy that breather, because you're about to go into another one all over again. But our job is to endure and press on, to endure and press on. And I'll take it even further, with the way the world is right now, with how much evil is out there, one of the things that Jesus said to the disciples is that towards the end times, it's going to be just like it's in, in the times of Noah. And when you look at the times of Noah, the Bible says that people were thinking evil at all times. And the world right now is full of evil. People People are advantageous. Here you have riots because of social injustice, and then you have people taking an advantage and saying, yay, great opportunity to loot and steal and break stuff and burn stuff down. Yeah. And so people are just out there doing evil things at all times. We are seeing that more than ever, but we need to hold on and not give up and persevere. I just described to you several examples of me trying to endure, whether with blisters in my feet, climbing mountains at 125 degree weather, carrying people down, doing sutures right there impromptu in the middle of the desert somewhere, and having to do all of these different things. But could you imagine how Jesus was when he spent 40 days in the desert, mad, hungry, and the devil says, why don't you turn that into bread? And he had the power to do it. Jesus resisted temptation by quoting the word of God and saying, it is written. More than ever, we need to hold on to the word of God. His word, his promises, the treasures that are found in there are pure and you can count on them. You ever had someone who makes promises and promises and constantly breaks them and, and, and mistreats you and breaks your trust and violates your trust? Yet the word of God is something that is true and my God will never let you down and my God will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me tell you what happens in the early church. In the early church, when people were Christians, they began to be persecuted. You know, you know the story of Paul and when he was Saul. Give me, you know, ability to go to Damascus and everywhere and destroy and kill. And so what happens is that the gospel message spread, spread all over the known world then. For a moment there, the church was pure and faithful. The last couple of weeks, I talked to you about the period of the dark ages when we had Christianity that had been corrupt, and for 1,260 years, people were persecuted if they were standing on the word of God. It was either follow what we teach you, but if, if you do your own thing, you're going to die. And Christians were burned, they were hung, they were stoned, they were crucified. All of these things happened to various Christians throughout that time period. But yet, people held on to the word of God. And as a result, the gospel message spread even further. I love that about my God. My God has an amazing way of turning a bad situation into something amazing. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, the Lord says, I need you to go here. He's like, ah, I'm going to go somewhere else. And he hopped on a boat, went somewhere else, and a storm came, and the mariners, they started praying to their different gods. But by the end of the story of chapter 1, 
you'll see there that the mariners made vows to the God of heaven. In the middle of Jonah running away and disobeying God, those people on the boat were converted. In the middle of the darkest point in history, where history itself, not Christians, called the Middle Ages the Dark Ages, the gospel message went across Britain and Scotland and Ireland and Germany and Switzerland and even Italy. It spread everywhere in the middle of being killed and persecuted. The word of God and the good news spread everywhere. And the group of people that was mainly responsible for this for hundreds of years was the Waldenses, which is the reason for bringing it to you today because for centuries they taught the word of God. For centuries they stood for what was truth. And in spite of the universal church of the time who kept teaching the wrong thing, they did this because their belief was founded upon the word of God, the true system of Christianity. And they held on to it very, very dearly. They lived a life of purity and simplicity and faith. They stood true to this text from last week, which we're going to read again today, Jude chapter 1, verse 3. And this time you guys will have it here at the church, and the people at home should have it on the screen as well. Jude chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now, because, you know, things are ugly, I find that I must write about something else urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. And so this is exactly what the Waldenses did. They upheld the word of God because if you remember from last week, the, the, the universal church had promoted and had pushed things that went against the true Sabbath of God. They instituted worship of idols, worship of saints, and worship of the Virgin Mary when the Bible says that I am a jealous God and you shall have no other gods before me. But yet we're praying to everybody and anybody but God himself. Even our dead loved ones sometimes. Thank you for looking over me, grandma or grandpa or mom or dad. These were all things that they were, being te that were teaching at the time. And the Waldenses upheld the word of God. They were the first people in Europe to obtain a translation in their language of the Holy Scriptures. Hundreds of years before the Reformation, they had the Bible, they had the manuscripts in their native tongue. And under the fiercest opposition, they upheld and maintained the faith. They were gashed, they were speared, they were scorched, and yet they stood for the word of God and in honor of that. I complain about heat and how, you know, I'm not even wearing a suit today because it's just too hot and I'm already getting hot and, and whatever else. And, and so I complain about that. But here's this people, I don't want to risk losing one drop of sweat to show up to church. And here they are to deliver the gospel message. Yeah, I might, I might get killed along the way, burned or spear or hung or whatever, thrown into prison. But you know what? It is all about the gospel. Come on now, you can't say amen, say ouch. Here you have this people for the gospel message. They risk life itself. They risk life itself. They, they did all of these things. They were chasing to the mountains. They found the mountains a hiding place. And for a thousand, for thousand years, they sat there holding on to the truth. And they share with everyone their faith and their faith in Jesus. Pure, simple, and fervent. Many of us don't want to get uncomfortable. Many of us put up our earthly job before our job as humans to share the gospel message with the world. Yet they gave up everything and lived the simplicity, but they held on to the word of God. They were thrown out of their house. They lost their properties. They lost everything because they wanted to upheld the word of God. The principles of truth they value above houses, lands, friends, kindred, and life itself. 
And so the Bible, you know, was, they were rare in those days. They, they, they held those words preciously. They were committed. They committed them to memory because they didn't have many print like what we have right now. You know, in my phones, I have all kinds of Bible versions in different languages. Many of you have a whole bunch in your house collecting dust. Over there, it was rare. So what they had, they did, but they made it a point to memorize it. Full gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they had them completely memorized. Big chunks of the Old Testament, big chunks of the New Testament, they turned them into songs to remember them. You ever hear a song you haven't heard in years? 20, 30 years ago, and the song comes back on, and you're saying, hey, I mean, vegetarian dancing, of course, but you know what? I know that song. I remember all of the lyrics. Look at that. It is amazing how music is great for memory. They did music. They did all kinds of things, and they had the Word of God memorized completely. The parents over hundreds of years, were teaching their children. They loved them, but they were wise to not get them too accustomed to self-indulgences. Some of us here, we really, we really baby our kids. When it comes to carrying out the gospel message, we don't do a whole lot with our children. In the Bible, we got kings that were eight years old and that were ruling kingdoms on behalf of God. And yet here, we can't even teach our children to share the word of God with others, to give Bible studies, to provide food, or to help in some way. Come on, parents. Now more than ever, we need all hands on deck, especially in the times that we are living in. These parents taught their children that, you know what, life is hard, life is difficult, you're going to have trials, hardships, and perhaps you may even die at a young age. Early at a young age, they were educated to endure hardness, to submit control, and yet, you know, act for themselves. They taught them, look, these are the biblical morals. You have to, you know, step up and and, and live for yourself. They do these things. They taught them to bear responsibilities, but also to watch how they speak. Because, because, here's what happens. Any word that the kids may have say out of place that may consider heresy against the main church could have cost their lives and the lives of hundreds in their community. So the parents made it a level to be realistic with their children. I don't know what kind of conversations you are having with your kids right now about what's happening in the world, about racism and social injustices, about economy and how things are upside down. Maybe about what jobs are essential. Sometimes we look down on certain jobs not realizing that it is not all about a college degree. Now look, I got three bachelors and a master's, but you know what? It is okay to go to school and be a mechanic or be a carpenter or something like that. Sometimes we downplay and we look down with our noses not teaching our kids the right things take a time to be real with your children they're smarter than you think some of the parents don't even want to talk about you know the the birds and the bees with their children and i'm doing that just in case their parents don't want me to say that from the pulpit or through the streaming but you know what talking about it's not going to make it go away you need to talk to your children and educate them. The Waldenses did this, told them about a reality, told them about the importance of upholding the word of God first, and everything else was secondary. Everything else was secondary. They sacrificed worldly prosperity the tr- for truth's sake, and they persevered in patience, and they toiled for everything that they did. They taught that all of their powers, all of their skills, and everything that they possess is to be cultivated and grown for God. Listen, I made an announcement this week through the email that we need people to work, help us out with audiovisual because now we need to have someone in the computer in the church, someone working with the sound, but we need someone in the camera, you know, to zoom in, zoom out. If I'm moving a little bit here and there to follow those, and eventually we'll get a secondary camera, somebody who's clicking, putting the little Bible text and stuff up there. We need someone to do that. If you got technical skills, why not use them for God? 
I was just talking to Sister Harmony this morning, who, who sang here with Mom Wilson, and, you know, about what are we going to do for music for the next couple of weeks. We got so many talented people. If you can sing, if you can play, hey, use it for God. The wild dances knew that all of their skills and resources must be cultivated for the service of the Lord. How is it that many of us will go above and beyond for a paycheck, and we can't even spend five minutes to, sp to spread the gospel message? Now, I'm not saying this to, to guilt anybody into anything, but to simply make you go, hmm, and think about what that does. Now, something that is very unique about the Wandensis, they understood that even though they needed to uphold truth, they could not do it by being completely separated from the rest of the world. They sent their children to secular schools, and their children were there, and their children were taught how to resist temptation. They faced temptation continually, but their education was such that even in the midst of the world out there, even though they were in the world, they were protected from the evil one and were able to resist temptation because they were trained and educated in the ways of God and in the characters of God. Something else the Waldenses did, they used to put in their garments the scriptures. And every time they had a chance, they would go ahead and say, look, you know, here's Psalms and here's whatever. They will keep pieces of scriptures in their garments. And they did a lot of sewing to continue to spread the message and the gospel message of God. Here's what happens. I want to go ahead and um, put a quote up on the screen. And, and, and Jonathan, just give me a thumbs up when you have it, and you guys should have it over here. Let me tell you what they used to do. Here's what they did. This is from Wiley, book one, chapter seven. They carry silks, jewelry, and other articles at the time, not easily purchasable, save at distant marts. And they were welcome as merchants where they would have been spurned as missionaries. Let me tell you what happens. You guys could come back and you could take that quote down. But let, let me tell you what happens here. Here's what's happening. What happens is that the children went to school and shared the gospel message. The adults who were ministers who wanted to spread the gospel message, they used to have the word of God with them, but they would buy trinkets and things and go to the market to buy and sell. And every time they could, hey, um, so with that soda, actually, I'm in the South. I think you guys call it pop or you call it soda? Call it pop? I don't know. Whatever. Oh, you just call it Coke? No matter what kind of soda it is, you call it Coke. All right, fine. I like vegetarian Pepsi better, but all right. Anyhow, so, 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 so with, with, with the drink, the soda, the pop, or, or whatever the case may be, you want to call it, hey, so here's pop, and how about, you know, the Gospel of Matthew? And they used to go right ahead and go into every city to be welcomed and embraced as merchants, but the real job and the real purpose was to spread the Gospel message. This quarantine has been unique. Um... I don't get a chance, I used to always say, I don't get a chance to watch television much or anything like that. Because of the quarantine, I've actually caught up on some shows that I haven't seen in a long time, which is very interesting. I saw one the other day that was warning us of a hurricane that came three years ago. But, you know, I'm catching up. But my wife was watching a movie, and she says, honey, you got to see this. My wife knows I'm a big baby, by the way. I, I know that I got, I'm bald and I have gray hairs and stuff, but I'm a big baby. And she knows that my favorite DC character, this is superheroes and stuff, is Superman. I love Superman. And she says, honey, I think you would appreciate this. She showed me a clip from a movie where it was talking about Superman and heroes like Batman. He says, let me tell you what happens with other heroes like Batman. They are humans during the day, and then at nighttime, they get dressed up, and their secret identity is like Batman or another superhero. That's their part-time job in secret. However, what I like about Superman 
is that Superman is Superman. But Clark Kent is his secret identity. What he does during the day is what he does in secret, hiding who he is, becoming clumsy and pretending to be weak. When somebody pushes him, oh, ow, and he pretends to be that. I mean, this is, Superman is different than all of the other heroes because the other heroes, they, they, their secret identity is to be a hero, but Superman, his secret identity is to be normal. To hide who he really is. And so I was thinking about that when I, w- when I was writing this message because here's what happened with the Waldenses. The Waldenses were gospel ministers. Male and female alike, they were ministers of the gospel message. And their job was to share the gospel message. But in secret, they were merchants. And they pretended to sell things and trinkets and, and whatever. They were students in the schools. But their main purpose was to share the gospel. And I share that because here's what has happened. We know that this world is temporary and that my God is coming very, very soon. But you know what we have been doing? We got confused as to which one is our real identity. We are thinking that I am a doctor, that I am a nurse, that I am a mechanic, that that what I do here is who I am. And when I have time, part-time, my secret identity that not even my coworkers know is to be a child of God and someone who spreads the gospel message. One or two hours a week, a little bit here and there, and we suddenly have lost sight of who we are. So I'm a little bit biased, but I need you guys to be like Superman. I need you to let your part-time job out here, the mechanic and the doctors and the nurses and whoever that is, be what you just simply do to earn a little bit of income. But at every moment, 24-7, who you are is a child of the king who's going to share Jesus with everyone and anyone who wants to hear it. That's the distinction. That's what the Wandenses did. It wasn't about the trinkets. It was about the gospel message. And we need to uphold Jesus as much as possible. This is what we need to do. The scriptures to them was not just the scriptures. Remember that the popular church at the time talked about guilt and different things like that. But for them, my God is not a God of condemnation or eternal damnation. He's a God of redemption and salvation. And so the character of Jesus was thwarted by the popular church at the time. And they're saying, no, that is not who Jesus is. Again, I'll say that one more time. My God is not about condemnation or eternal damnation. He's about redemption and salvation. And they knew that and they understood that. First John, first John chapter 1 verse 7. First John chapter 1 verse 7, it says, But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. No rituals, no long overburdening types of penance. No, no, cleanses us from all. John 3, 14, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 3, 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Should not perish, but have eternal life. In a world like this, it is not about wearing suits and ties to church. It is not necessarily about a particular day of worship or whatever else. It is about uplifting Jesus. When you uplift Jesus, we'll know how we ought to dress. And I'm not talking about suits and ties. I'm talking about, you know, in a modest way. I'm not talking about days of worship per se, but because I love Jesus and he made an appointment for me to worship with him on one day a week. That's the day that I'm going to do it because of Jesus, not because of me. Understand that some Sometimes we major in minors and we, we, work, we get concerned with all of the little 
world thinks, but we forget all about Jesus. You put Jesus first, everything else will be added on. Isn't that somewhere in the Bible, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else should be added on to you? We go try to grasp for everything, but we forget Jesus. Let us raise him up in this world of darkness and gloom. That's what we need to do. Christ is my priest. His blood is my sacrifice. His altar is my confessional. This is what they used to say all of the time. The while this is Christ is my priest. His blood is my sacrifice. His altar is my confessional. They repeated this over and over and over. They also repeated Hebrews 11.6. Look what it says here. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12. It says that there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This is what was needed. You see, the assurance of salvation seemed too much for some. The poorest, tempest-tossed souls to realize they, they, they really didn't know, how can God forgive something like me? Here's a direct quote from what they used to say. Will God indeed accept my offering? Will he smile upon me? Will he pardon me? People were questioning, am I worthy to be saved? Have you ever had that moment where you say, man, I am so wretched. I am so miserable. How can someone like me be saved? But you know what? Jesus loves you he accepts you and he promises to welcome you as you are and to take you where he wants you to be and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness this is why in an ugly world full of sin full of evil jesus needs to be lifted up jesus said that and we need to do that many people are heartbroken and they have no idea no idea the love and the peace that comes from allowing christ in your heart look at his words here Matthew eleven twenty eight. it says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. No more long pilgrimages to make. No journeys or painful journeys or holy shrines. You know, thy sins be forgiven thee. Mine, even mine, may be forgiven. You have to understand that the Waldensians were sharing this grace and this forgiveness. They were in the battlefield with Satan himself. And it opposed everything that Satan was trying to do. So this excited anger and and contentment against them. They, They wanted to hurt them because they were sharing here. Go to Christ. He forgives you. He loves you. You don't have to do penances. You don't have to do long rites. You don't have to buy your way into heaven. And so you can imagine what that did to the popular church at the time. They were upset because we're giving biblical grace and they're saying, no, you got to work hard for it. This idea of guilt and shame has been embedded in us since that popular church of the dark ages, a church that still exists today. And somehow we don't feel that we're worthy because he has thwarted the character of God. This is a problem. And so therefore, because they couldn't accuse him of doing bad things, they accused him of heresy. And I want to read a quote for you that, that was ordered here. Um, it, it says the following. It, it says that malicious and abominable sect of the malignants, if they refuse to abjure, to be crushed like venomous snakes. This is what was desired to do to them who were upholding the real word of God. Matthew 25, 40, it says... And the king will answer and say to them, As surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. 
I know people may hurt you. People may attack you. You might lose your jobs and maybe lose even people in your family for standing up for the word of God. Understand, they're not doing it to you. Don't take it personal. They are doing it to him. You just simply stay the course and endure. Push through. It's okay if you got to climb that mountain for the third or the fourth time. Someone is in need. Someone is hurt. Someone needs help to be brought to them. People are out there in the need of Jesus. No matter the cause, stay the course. It is not just you who's suffering. They're doing it to him. But he will give you the strength and he will carry you through. I want to read one more quote from Wiley Book uh, 16, Chapter 1. And I have to tell you how ugly it got, how bad it got. Here's what they did. They were calling upon members of the church. You know, earlier when we were talking about what we're going to do for church next week, if too many people show up, I may need to tell members to help us. Hey, tell them to sit here, wipe this, clean that, etc. Because it takes a village to ensure that the church is clean. But you know what they did? They kind of did that, but backwards. They said, hey, I'm going to need you and help me kill those people who are not doing church the way we tell them who are reading the word of God for themselves and who have an idea of Christ that is not the idea of Christ that we have given them. And look what it says. Absolve from all ecclesiastical pains and penalties, general and particular. This is what it was promised, okay? Um, it released all who joined the crusade from any oath they may have taken. It legitimized their title to any property that may have illegally acquired. So somebody was a Waldensi or a child of God, I could take their property and now it's mine. And promise remission of all their sin to such as should kill any heretic. It annul all contrasts made in favor of voudois, order their domestics to abandon them, forbade all persons to give them any aid, whatever, and empower all persons to take possession of their property. Pretty much, you could take their property, you could kill them, you could do whatever, and all of your sins are forgiven, and any property you take from them as you kill them, it's yours. Could you imagine the church saying that this is in the will of God, in the name of God? Do you know how many people were slaughtered during the Dark Ages? Because the character of God was twisted. And the Waldensians stood for the true character of God. I struggle when we in the churches tell people, God says come as you are, but if you come in in any way that doesn't approve our checklist, we're giving you a tough time or pointing fingers at you. We got to stop that. This is not biblical. They did this. They stood for the word of God, and they suffered many things as a result. But they continue to press on. Revelation 1.9. Revelation 1.9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He talked about tribulation. He went to tribulations himself. The Waldensians did these things. Matthew eleven twenty nine. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Eleven thirty. the very next verse, it says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I shared this with you guys about three years ago here in Tallahassee, but I know we forget from time to time. When we look at a yoke, go ahead and put it up on the screen. We think of just that singular yoke that you put on a bull or an ox or a donkey or whatever to pull and yank something. The problem with this is that when you stand up for the word of God, it's not all rainbows, flowers, and unicorns and pretty things. If anything, the devil's going to attack you more. And so we end up something like this. Go ahead and put the next photo up where we're just overburdened by the things that we have. Because 
Because we think we need to carry it at, completely on our own. But Jesus says, take my yoke because my yoke is like, go ahead and go to the next one. But it's not a single yoke. Go ahead and put the other one. This is the kind of yoke that Jesus is talking. Go ahead and, and put that second one on the screen where it's a double yoke. There's two of them. Um, and so if you look at that, and you could just press down. There you go. And I think, Jonathan, you have it with both of them on there. But it's a dual yoke where Jesus is saying, look, I'm right here. Hop on, and you are right here, but I'm really carrying it all for you. You're not alone, whether it's through the storm, through the fiery furnace, through the lion's den, whatever it is, this is my yoke. It's light. Why? Because I am carrying it all. It's like when my children, like Julian, before he, before he got taller than me, when he thinks he could help me with the groceries on the way home, and he's just kind of touching the bottom of the bag like that, but... I had it all along. You understand? Jesus is saying, look, take my yoke upon you. Here you are next to me, tutu, right along for the right, but I'm really carrying it all. So what I need you to do, things are going to get ugly. You're going to get tribulation. You're going to suffer. You know, the council of Nicaea says... Um, all of his members, once upon a time, was maimed some way, somehow, because of Jesus. They, they, they had eyes missing, arms cut off, completely whipped. They were hurt in some way because of the gospel message. The Waldenses suffer a lot. There was a group that was back into a cave. They put wood in front of the cave and burned them and cooked them alive. But yet, they did not let any of those minor inconveniences like death or, or whippings or hangings and burnings Take away from their goal to share the gospel message. So I am telling you right now, here's my exhortation. If you've been daydreaming this entire time, I need you to come back to this right now because here it is. These are a wonderful group of people who stood for the word of God in the midst of what is known the dark ages for hundreds of years. And they taught this to their children. Now more than ever in a world where it's corrupting the views of God, where it's getting us confused what love and acceptance is. Where it's thwarting the nature of men and genders and all kinds of craziness that is out there. Now more than ever, we need to stand for the word of God. It doesn't mean that we cannot love our neighbors. The word of God says, love your neighbor. Right? But we also does not need, do not need to compromise where we stand and toward the character of God. We must stand for what is right. We must stand for what is just. We must stand for what is loving. We must stand for what is precious in the sight of God. As a result, things will get ugly. Press on, endure. Do not give up. Hop on the yoke of God. His burden is easy even when it's ugly. You will have peace. And don't confuse your temporary job with your real job as a child of God. Let us go ahead and pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, the wild dancings, what a wonderful people. I cannot wait to meet some of them and hear more stories of what they did when we're reunited with you in your kingdom of heaven. I only pray and I only hope that my church family, that my brothers and sisters, those who are here physically with me in the church and those who are at home elsewhere watching this, that we just have an ounce of that faith and endurance without giving up. I mean, mercy. I mean, my air conditioning breaks in the car. I don't want to go anywhere. And yet, here you have these people who risk it all, young and old alike, to share Jesus and uplift Jesus for a world who looked dark, who needed a little bit of light in the midst of darkness. We are in an ugly world again, and now more than ever, we need to uplift you, Christ Jesus. But we need people who are willing to endure, who are willing to press on. So give us the strength and the ability 
to not give up, to not surrender, to, to not doubt, to trust in you, to pick up your yoke because it's so light, because you're doing all of the work. Carry us through. Work in us and through us for the benefit of all. This is my humble prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone say amen, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. For those who are here, you may stand up as we sing our closing song.